Hello, I'm Stuart Preston, and this is the Stoned Ape Reports, where I have conversations with those who have changed their lives with the power of psychedelics. Quick announcement, you know about my one-man show, The Stoned Ape Show. Well, now there's a book titled The Grief Trip, How I Learned to Heal with Grief and Psychedelics. You can find it at www.thegrieftrip.com. 100% of proceeds go to the Ian Preston Memorial Fund to help support mental health and suicide prevention. So check it out. Okay, back to the podcast. In this episode, I had the honor of speaking with Sophia. Sophia was one of my first guests over a year ago. Back then, we discussed breaking away from a cult-like church with the aid of psychedelics, and she's back with an update. She discusses psychedelics as a gateway drug, a gateway to other healing modalities like yoga and therapy. She also talks about cognitive liberty and so much more. So let's hear from Sophia. So good to have you back again. Um, we had a great conversation. I guess I guess you reminded me it was maybe even over a year ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've stayed connected, but uh, I'm really glad to have you back and to hear what's going on with you. Definitely. Thank you for having me back. You know, I think that it's funny when we were talking a little bit before it started to reflect on everything that's gone on in the last year and just how much uh, change. So, oh, yeah. Where to start? Um, It's funny when I was kind of like looking back on some of my notes just over the last year and um, just thinking back about like our podcast interview. Last time I was thinking a little bit about how even some of my perspectives about like psychedelics or like how I feel about using them uh, has changed, not, you know, like in any dramatic way, but just I think um, my relationship to them has, I think, evolved, I would say. And Mm. I definitely like the biggest thing that um i've been focusing on lately has really been integration really so i mean has there been other experiences that you've had that have had a a transformation or is really your focus on this whole process of integration and what does integration mean to you yeah i think it's been a little bit of both you know i don't know if you've ever talked to somebody who's you know like a psychonaut or someone's really um interested in psychedelics that has had the experience of like saying that drugs have told them to stop doing drugs um (laughs) yeah you know I definitely think that I've had um experiences over the last year where I had opportunities to try different substances that I didn't necessarily have access to in the past and also because of being quarantined um just the time and space to explore psychedelics more in a way that like I think personally is conducive you know um I think we were talking chit-chatting a little bit before about how as kind of like hermitous people it can be a little bit of a relief to be locked down because it takes away I think I don't know if this is how you feel but for me it's like it's taken away some of the social expectation that I think is sometimes always present you know and people are a little bit more understanding about people needing time and space <laughs> you know we're living through a pandemic yeah um and so i think that during that time you know being able to like explore things like um dmt and also like more intense um lsd trips i felt at a point where i was like wow this is amazing and incredible and these experiences are so much that I really need time to like actually sit with this. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think that, do you want to share yeah. a, a, one or two of those and it's something that's gone on since then that you've 
this been a big experience has brought on some changes that you needed to integrate? Yeah, I think that one of the things um, that I've been thinking about a lot, and then it kind of ties back to our last conversation is that, um, you know, as I was raised in this really restrictive, I would call it, you know, cult, um, mm -hmm. I really had a, the biggest part of my experience with that was being separate from the world. And I think everybody right now with COVID can relate to the idea of like, oh, I'm feeling isolated or I'm feeling closed off or, you know, I think everyone with varying degrees of this, there is like a sense of isolation or solitude. And I think that it took me a long time of being quarantined and like working from home and being really strict about my contact with other people um, before I realized, wow, this is so, so similar to mm -hmm. being in a cult, um, you know, because as with my upbringing, hmm. I was like really not one of the big things was like not allowed going to bars. I was like really, um, you know, going to a place that only served alcohol would be a real big no, no. Um, and like, you know, that with COVID, that's a place that doesn't serve food. They're shut, you know, they're yeah. shut down. Wow, um, that's, or, it. that's an interesting connection there. Yeah. And, you know, once I made that connection, I was shocked that it took me that long to recognize that. But I was also homeschooled. And so that component of like being constantly home all the time, not really having a lot of options to go anywhere or do anything, because, you know, when I was homeschooled, a lot of things that I wanted to do, you know, as a kid were like considered quote unquote worldly, you know, or they weren't allowed for whatever reason. So I just don't think that I made the mental connections right off the mm. bat. I think that after I did um, in one of my trips, you know, I kind of was like, I, I kind of felt like I couldn't unsee that. And I've been like working through that because it's really brought up a lot of um, things that I just kind of, I guess the best way to put it is I realized in not making that connection, I was also kind of not dealing with like a lot of childhood wounding and like not thinking about things that I haven't thought about in a long time, like, you know, the experiences of acute isolation and, you know, deprivation from contact that comes from, you know, being homeschooled and in a religious cult. Um, so those are definitely the things that I think came up both in, the, in those trips and in like processing those trips and has like prompted me to be a little bit more tender with myself um, and also mm. kind of prompted the process of really wanting to integrate, you know, what is what am I feeling? And, you know, can I be with what I'm feeling? And can I even deepen my experience with that to maybe widen my compassion for myself and other people? Um, so I don't know. I don't know if a lot of that would really make sense. And I definitely think we could uh, potentially edit, you know, if any of that was like a rambling, but. No, no, that's um, good. That's good. Keep rambling. <laughs> so when you say integrate what what is uh what does integrate mean to you because i i think as i talk to more and more people my uh my idea of what integration means has really expanded you know it used to be and i don't want maybe i don't want to share too much i'll let you talk but um yeah, oh, it's yeah just, no, uh, grown. so what, what does it mean to you when you integrate you know one of these experiences oh yeah well i definitely love hearing you know what other people uh mean by that for sure because I think it's one of those um, terms kind of like set and setting where everybody can have really such a wide uh, 
definition, but I'd say for me, what that has really meant is taking what comes up, you know, be it like emotions or thoughts, memories, um, you know, maybe even ideas or concepts or dreams, like all the things that can be triggered or come up within the psychedelic sphere, you know, that oftentimes come from our subconscious things that we're really like ignoring or, you know, blinding ourselves to and like Mm -hmm. letting them be present in my life and, you know, working with them either in therapy, either in journaling and affirmations, you know, um, especially I think coming from the background of like an evangelical religion that really um, demonizes anything to do with your body or like, you know, really Mm. not an embodied experience, you know, not to offend anybody who has those belief systems. But I definitely think uh, there's a lot of damage that comes from telling someone that you are sinful just inherently for your nature you know, just that's, that's your true nature and that's what your body represents. And so I think to that end, like recognizing that and doing things like yoga and other somatic therapies that really are embodied as kind of like the counter to that. Um, and even, you know, silly things like turning on music and like making sure that I dance and like enjoy myself. Like, I think, uh, a bigger part of that that's come up is kind of the flip side of recognizing a lot of childhood wounding has been like really uh, recognizing the importance of play and mm. like how um, I think that's actually something I'm glad that you encouraged me to ramble because I thought about that mental connection to, um, you know, that's a big thing that I actually came to the conclusion of over the the past years that I have been doing so much hardcore, like healing and working. And uh, you know, people say doing the work and like, those are really important things. Like self-examination is important. Uh, Self, like I'm trying to think of what the right right word is, but like self-accountability is important, Mm -hmm. but also like play is an essential part of healing having fun is an essential part of healing. Doing things recreationally is essential part of healing. You know, I think having opportunities where I let myself have trips, psychedelic trips, where I was just like, you know, I don't really have an intention besides enjoying myself um, is actually kind of like a freeing thing as well. And like, yeah. I, I think a very integral and important part of, you know, healing and integration. So you mentioned therapy and you've mentioned yoga. I mean, you're, you're doing a lot of different things to help yourself and, and to grow and to find th- this joy and the, the physical part. Um, how important or what role would you say in your um, evolution and your growth would you say psychedelics have played overall? <laughs> yeah, I think as an ex-evangelical, it's something I worry about coming across as preachy about, but I, I think psychedelics probably have been one of the foremost, impa- most impactful, if not most important aspects of that healing in my life. Like, I feel like they have been kind of like a gate to these other practices and therapies that, you know, I think I already had access to or awareness of, but didn't necessarily utilize or use 
in the same way that I have the relationship to them now. I think it's kind of like a thing that has helped things come together for me. So it's not only like a gate that kind of, um, I mean, that, that implies like it opens up and gives you access to these things. But once you go through the gate and you do your, your therapy, um, cause it, I have a therapist and mm-hmm. she watched, she watched my stoned ape show. And one of her first questions was, why are you talking to me? Because I made a joke <laughs> about how, you know, one trip can be like two to four years of therapy. And she mm-hmm. was like, well, why are you talking to me then? Because, you know, there's, there's value in all in, in therapy and in meditation and in yoga and talking and dancing and singing. And so just opening the gate to these things. But do you think that psychedelics also helped you really get the most from therapy and yoga and dancing and all these wonderful things? Yeah, I do. And I think um, as a medical cannabis patient, I think that that's something that I feel like I still have an active relationship to psychedelics, even if I'm not using things like psilocybin or, or LSD or, you know, other, what are people classify like traditional psychedelics? Because I think mm-hmm. I personally, like, you know, when you ask that, I, I immediately think that, you know, marijuana is incredibly psychedelic. And so like, that's just kind of part of my thought process with that. I like mm-hmm. an active part of my life. And so also like something that, I think kind of sometimes keeps that thread of like having a psychedelic container, which, you know, I think could probably come across, could definitely sound a certain way that I don't know, like how that could be interpreted. But I think that, you know, psychedelics are both a gate, you know, and then also I think in some way they kind of have held space in my life for these things is how I would express that. Yeah. And, you know, I think that because I do, I'm not like, you know, if you would use the classification like of sobriety in between while integrating these things, I am also using cannabis and I, I am also like using that as a psychological and physiological, you know, medicine. And I do think that also helps me kind of like integrate and process the bigger, you know, psychedelic experiences. Mm-hmm. Does it, so how does it help you? So you have a great big psychedelic experience and then weeks, months, whatever later, cannabis continues to help you integrate that experience. Is that, is that yeah. what you're saying? And if so, yeah. how does that work? Why, why do you think that is? I think uh, what you said about, you know, maybe psychedelics opening the door to certain experiences and then still being able to uh, you know, whether or not they like still guide me is what kind of made me think about that because mm. I don't think regardless of whether I'm using, you know, any plant medicine, you know, be it cannabis, anything else, I always have carried with me, like something that I think I can't ever shed after having done psychedelics, like from the psychopharmacological perspective, um, psilocybin does cause permanent per- personality changes um you know this has been researched as far as like how it affects um people's relationship to openness Mm -hmm. and so i think just in that respect um you know i could like never go back to the person that i was prior to using psychedelics but i also think that there are ways that people over romanticize that Hmm. and you know 
you can absolutely use mushrooms and then go back to your daily life and never make any changes either. You know, like yeah. that's, um, you know, that's an aspect of it. So it's also like interesting to kind of reconcile the ways that it stays with you, but then doesn't, you know, like, I think that's where the agency of integration and choice kind of comes in. And I think that, you know, oftentimes when I'm doing practices, like say, uh, yoga, for example, I experienced a lot of chronic pain and a lot of like physical difficulties. And so if I were doing yoga, you know, and I were really trying to be with my body and with the experience of it and also like pushing myself a little bit, there could be situations where that's like actually really triggering. Um, hmm. There's like a lot of um, conversations like within clinicians about how mindfulness really isn't always the most helpful um, piece of the puzzle if people have you know conditions like complex PTSD or PTSD um, because sometimes being in your body is really uncomfortable Um, but I think that having access to like medical marijuana for example to like broadly answer your question is where, you know, I can kind of like take those pieces of the puzzle that might've been somewhat unlocked or like open to me um, because of my psychedelics use. And then like, you know, I know like using, having cannabis enhanced yoga, then I can have that experience of like being with my body and being a little bit more comfortable and feeling physically better because, you know, it's like a medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, kind of also like allowing a little bit of a sense of deeper awareness and like general, you know, connection to my physicality without it being so uncomfortable in a way that, you know, I think often, I think a lot of trauma survivors can probably relate to like not feeling comfortable being with your body. Um, But at the same time, you know, I'm saying all this and like, I think the one thing that I wanted to to get back to and at least um, emphasize what I said at the get-go was about, you know, drugs telling you not to do drugs. As much as I do think that cannabis has been incredible, incredibly helpful and incredibly um, medicinal, I also have had points over the past um, year where I really also like wanted to examine my relationship to that and, you know, whether or not it was something that was beneficial or whether or not it was being um an escape so it's what like did you very, discover? <laughs> but it's hard to answer that question that you know it's very difficult to say how do you um work with these medicines in a way that is that feels good you you know both your i guess if you want to say your conscience or maybe whatever is guiding you as far as what feels right um for your frequency of use and then mm-hmm. also navigating the overcultural stigmas that come from all of this, you know, because um, yeah. I definitely feel a trepidation in discussing cannabis and discussing like being a daily cannabis user. And that's something that I think um, just probably has like so much stigma around and that has to be a part of the equation. And mm-hmm. then also I think, you know, it's important like, going back to that discussion of like self-accountability for me to be able to say like, oh yeah, you know, over the course of COVID, 
I have absolutely engaged in using cannabis in a way that was not so medicinal and was definitely more escapist. Um, Mm. So maybe the best and simplest way to say is that I think in all things, I've really learned that like checking in with myself and examining my intentions and then like really like having um, an awareness of that and then if my intentions are maybe not aligned with what I think is within my, my best, you know, growth or to like use your, you know, the term evolution, then maybe to reassess that and making yeah. that a, a process. I think that, you know, maybe I could say that's what I would consider integration. Is going back and doing that examination. Yeah. Understanding what the relationship was, doing that, that self-accountability. So not, not just oh, cool, I had this great vision that could change my life, but it's also like, okay, what, what does this whole process mean within my own, my own growth and my own healing? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Now, you mentioned the, the stigma here. Have you dealt with uh, stigmas? Are you, how open are you about this, you know, and what kind of pushback have you gotten? What kind of acceptance have you gotten? Kind of what's your experience around the stigma around psychedelics and cannabis? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting question because I think it's one of those things that varies so much just depending on who you are talking to and the, um, you know, the circumstances. And I definitely find that, you know, in my efforts to like really want to be open about my experiences and, um, talk freely about them. I also want to like be careful from the perspective of knowing that these substances are, you know, not only widely stigmatized, but also widely illegal. Uh, you know, so it's a really careful and delicate balance. And the one thing that I also personally, um, find I struggle with is like, because of the the background of people pleasing and, uh, mm. shifting, you know, I don't know, you know, the scripture, um, I couldn't quote it exactly, but about being all things to all people was something that really, um, I really had to unlearn and I think I'm still unlearning. And so I find that when I initially started using psychedelics, it was really hard for me to talk to somebody about them openly if I didn't think that they were going to be receptive. Yeah. Um, But like we were kind of like chit chatting about before the start of the show, um, oftentimes when you start talking about stuff with folks, you'll find that, you know, your expectations can be subverted. And oftentimes people have much more similar experiences than, you know, you would think. And I think that when it comes to stigma, I don't doubt that a good deal of that really is kind of like more the overculture and more the the legality aspect of it than any mm-hmm. real pushback. Yeah. Um, Cause I think I've had some overwhelmingly positive experiences. You know, I love that you've talked to me about talking to your counselor about um, psychedelics. Like, you know, I've always been upfront with my counselor about my use of psychedelics and that, you know, I needed the space and therapy to process those experiences. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, my, my counselor has always kind of been like, very neutral and very much like I don't know a lot about these um substances but I trust you to make your own decisions and you know I think there have been times when she's asked me to examine like "Mm," you know she said 
hey, can you consider if you feel like maybe a lot of triggering is coming up after like a psychedelic trip or, you know, you're finding yourself a little bit dysregulated or, you know, she'll notice those patterns or maybe like, you know, I was talking about like feeling like there have been times when cannabis was really escapist, you know, she's brought to my attention, like questions, you know, just different things. And I think I appreciate that perspective just for some grounding and mm. I don't think I've had too much, you know, that's probably the most unfavorable and that's really, really neutral. Um, you know, but that being said, like, I haven't necessarily talked with my parents about these substances, mm. although, you know, I actually, I should redact that. I initially did not want to talk to my parents about these substances. When we had our interview last year, I was really nervous about whether or not I wanted them to listen to it. You know, I felt like, like you asked me, you know, how key do I feel like these things are? And I think they're a big part of my life. And so it felt like I was really hiding a part of myself. Um, So I've been slowly kind of trying to like talk a little bit more without necessarily scaring them off because, Mm -hmm. you know, I have a a sibling who's underage that I have contact with and then I really wouldn't want to have a problem with that. Um, But, you know, over the last uh, year, my parents both had a lot of health problems, which was really scary and and stressful. And the one thing that came from that was like an opportunity to say, hey, you guys know, like I'm a medical marijuana patient. And, you know, if you're dealing with this kind of pain, I want you to consider seeing a doctor that can prescribe you cannabis, like know that that's an option for you legally. Um, And that was actually a really good conversation. And like, I felt good about the fact that, you know, I just was able to frame it like that and also to tell them because, you know, it's one of the things I think you kind of likened that to coming out of the closet. Like it definitely was a stressful feeling of like, how are they going to take this? How is this going to be received? Yeah. Yeah. It's scary, isn't it? Yeah. But especially like with everything you've been through, you know what I mean? It's uh, the, the fear of breaking out of that church, you know, or the cult. And um, in this, you've, you've gone through a few of these doors. Yeah. And, you know, that's actually very validating to hear because it does remind me that oftentimes, you know, there's still some, so much fear that remains. And I think that, um, it's funny you, you like mentioned your therapist had asked you, you know, why do you still go see her if, you know, you've worked through all these things with psychedelics and like, I think that that's one of the things that keeps me both, you know, working with psychedelic medicines and also working on myself, um, you know, just introspectively or like working through my past, because I know that just as much as like we move through those, those doors, those initiations of loss and grief you still move through that in life. You know, mm-hmm. it's unfortunately nothing is guaranteed. Like, you know, I, I have some of these fears are really unfounded because they're, you know, rooting in the trauma of not only losing people from being shunned, but also, you know, I was raised to shun people. So it's like this conditional relationship where you expect people to, you know, drop you at any moment but yeah I also have been like really living with um death and impermanence and so those fears are like valid because they're never ending um I think you know we're never gonna 
kind of like getting stopped getting hit with the stuff that is our lives and so therefore like we're never going to stop needing to like find a way to work through it and be with it yeah exactly so what uh you normally ask people what do they recommend somebody who's listening what would you recommend in terms of how to approach psychedelics and how to have uh, a healthy um experience with, without harm you know um but i also kind of want to ask you and i don't know if you want to share it feel free to say no mm-hmm. somebody out there who's stuck in a in a cult a cult or a culty church how do they get out of it i mean how, how do you step i mean because so many of them we see on tv that you know it's like okay you you can leave because you're not you know under arrest but we're never going to talk to you again and you just lost your entire family right i mean how yeah. the the fear of breaking away from this structured environment what uh do you want to share anything about that do you want to say like well kind of here's like the first step you got to do or is there like an underground railroad for people that <laughs> want to get out you know um there kind of is you know it's funny that you mentioned the underground railroad i would have to email you back after i check on you know whether or not this is still up and running but yeah, yeah. when i was writing the xjw discord um which i guess i don't mind naming you can keep that um, the one thing that I was working with was a, it was a joint effort between ex Jehovah's Witnesses and ex-Mormons um, to create a digital space where we could kind of connect people who were trying to leave a path of religious structures with help, like actual um, physical, you know, help or resources, um, you know, either online or in person. Yeah. And so that's something that I know exists, but I also would like, because I haven't been actively working directly with you know, I've been working like broader sense with ex-religious communities and not such niche. Um, I really have to check on that. But I think the first thing that I would say for someone to do is to get online. Um, I think that the ability, like the access to the internet is probably one of the greatest tools that anybody who's needing help with critical thinking has at this day and age. And unfortunately, also probably in so many ways, so antithetical to critical thinking. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think talking to people and reading and pushing that initial bubble of like going uh, and, and ingesting information that is potentially going to speak against your group is the hardest thing and the, the biggest mm. step for anybody. Because I think for any high control organization, um, the biggest thing that is really drilled in is like othering and uh, us versus them mentality. Mm. And there's the International Cultic Studies Association. So ISDA um, also has some really good resources as well as the BITE model, which is B-I-T-E. I think for anybody, you know, if anybody were to think to themselves, like maybe, you know, the organization I grew up with, um, a cult, you know, if if you've ever had that question, (laughs) if you've ever asked yourself if (laughs) the cult, that is a really good sign. Yeah. You know, I had that question as growing up i had that question as an adult and um i think that seeing things like the bite model where david hassan and other psychologists have really outlaid um in pretty general terms these very um common models that high control organizations follow it's really helpful and you know i think 
that kind of group think can unfortunately even go beyond just religion and people can find themselves enmeshed in all sorts of things. Like I know, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but like, you know, whatever was kind of marketed as like a self-improvement type of thing. You know, I think mm-hmm. a lot of things like multi-level marketing even can function in very much the same way. So. Yes. You know. Yeah. There's a whole family tree of those organizations now. I mean, oh, I have friends that are, part of these things and i'll say oh look at this i'm going to go to this event my wife's like do you know where that comes from (laughs) and you know give me the whole hierarchy and then you're kind of like holy crap i had no idea you know that this was kind of you know what you might call a high control organization yeah so i think anything like just learning being curious i think for anybody you know regardless of what your relationship to something like this is just being willing to be curious is probably you know, that's probably anybody's first step in like what I would call cognitive liberty. Um, and I think that that relates to, to getting started with psychedelics as well. Uh, and I really, I use that term a lot like cognitive liberty when it relates to people's rights to use psychedelics or otherwise augment their consciousness. Um, and I think that that usually starts with being curious. Yeah. You know, asking questions. Excellent. So I guess my last question, then I'll just open it up for whatever you want to talk about. Um, if you have anything is so now that's, that's those, that was great advice for somebody who may have asked that key question. Is this a cult and what they can do to, to move forward. Somebody out there who's listening to this, that's also thinking about maybe exploring psychedelics. Um, I guess I always have to put the caveat. Sophia and I are not telling you to do psychedelics. We're not recommending it. It's not for everybody. Make sure that you have the right mental history, the, um, mental health history in your family and in your own life. And it's an illegal drug. So don't do it illegally. Find a legal place to do it. But all that said, if somebody out there is thinking about doing this, what do you think the keys are to do it in, in a, in a good, positive, healthy way? And that doesn't mean like a good trip with, with rainbows Mm -hmm. and butterflies, right? I mean, it may be horrible and you get something great out of it. So we're not saying like a good trip versus a bad trip, but overall at the end of it, you come out with some good lessons that you can integrate into your life. What do you think the, the keys are for somebody looking to do this to, to make sure they do it in a, in a safe and productive way? Yeah. And I love that you did mention, you know, what the distinction for a good trip can really be, because that's definitely something that there's a lot of misconceptions about. I yeah. think, I think, you know, as time-worn as the term is having a good set and setting and really mm-hmm. understanding you know, what that means and also what that means to you is probably one of the most crucial things as well as, um, you know, we talked a lot about the concept of integration, but I think that one thing that really is a big key for particularly first-time psychedelic users would be for them to have support. Um, So much of like what you you'll see and run across when people have an intense experience is not really knowing how to process it or knowing where to go with it. And I think mm-hmm. being proactive and giving yourself inform- both information and potential community for whatever comes up is really, really important. And, you know, no shame for anybody that doesn't think about that ahead of time. God knows, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, for such of my first episode, there's things that came up on my trips I would have never expected and didn't have, you know, any kind of support for. And, and that can't be helped, you know, things, there are things you can't anticipate, 
But I really think that asking yourself, you know, what's my current mindset? How do I feel? What are my intentions? Mm -hmm. Uh, What do I want to get out of this? Uh, I think those are really good questions to ask. And then also asking yourself, you know, what is my actual setting that I'm doing this in look like? Um, You know, even simple things like cleaning your house beforehand is like a big thing that I tell people or having uh, water accessible, like making things dead simple on yourself. And, you know, going back to the curiosity component, I think doing your research can be really helpful, especially from the um, psychopharmacological aspect of it. This past year, I used a substance called Changa. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that at all. No. Um, it's basically is it's DMT that has been um, altered in such a way so that it was, it's a free-based DMT, so the crystal DMT that's been altered um, so that it can be smoked and have a longer onset and a longer trip rather than like the typical free base DMT would have an, an immediate onset and like a 10 to 15 minute trip. This allows you to like redose and take it steadily and then have like more potential for a breakthrough. Um, some people call it like smokable ayahuasca, but really huh. all it is is that it's um, a free base DMT that's been mixed with plants containing an MAOI um, and then covered in alcohol and then let to, to solve. Um, I can't remember wow. all of the chemistry of it. At any yeah, rate, um, well, that's okay. That's kind of, I bring it up because um, there's potential interactions that are not present with DMT freebase. And so hmm. there's just things that are, you know, maybe if you're not thinking about it, really wouldn't have been a problem, but because it contains an MAOI, it's a problem if anybody is taking an MAOI right. inhibitor, it could actually have some really serious contradictions. And so um, I, you know, thankfully I, I knew that, and I also wasn't taking any contradictory substances, but it was something that when I researched it ahead of time and, and learned about it, you know, it was a little sobering to be reminded of because oftentimes as someone who's primarily used really only like plant-based entheogenic things, um, you know, I don't really think typically about the, the, this uh, topic of harm as much in the physical sense. I definitely think about psychological harm reduction. Yeah. But, um, you know, from what that, that What was that substance called again? Changa or something? Changa, yeah. C-H-A-N-G-A. All right. Um, yeah, so you think more in terms of the, the mental mm-hmm. aspect, the pharmacological aspect um yeah that makes sense because i just i've learned something about you know harm reduction in like groups you know in ceremonies to make sure there's things like first Mm -hmm. aid kits available and all that but um yeah i think you've given a a pretty good background there so i feel like i cut you off there trying to get the name of of changa what what else did you want to say about the set and setting and, and preparation and all that stuff anything else no, I wish that I could find, um, there was like a really good breakdown that I had found um, in the book Cosmic Trooper by Robert Anton Wilson of really like defining set and setting, but I couldn't find it now um, to, yeah. to kind of reiterate it. But okay. um, we think, can point people to the book. What was that book again? Yeah, I actually, it's my perennial recommendation now. It's called Cosmic Trigger by Robert Anton Wilson. 
Um, and honestly, I think it's um, one of my favorite, favorite books of all time and really a fun read for anybody, especially especially psychonauts i think um he introduces the concept of the chapel perilous um kind of like being in a place where you're not sure whether or not you have you're having delusions or you're really having some you know some real shit and it's a it's a really fun fun read interesting Uh, yeah i've never heard of it so thank you for that i'll definitely put a link to that in the uh, the text from uh timothy leary and so he um he specifically like goes over Timothy Leary's set and setting process from when he was like doing actual clinical trials at Harvard. Um, Cause it was written in like 1971 or so. So that's a cool huh. fun part about that. But yeah, um, I definitely just would say to that note to encourage anybody, especially if they don't have access to a ceremony where they're going to have um, first aid, but also that's, you know, it's good to remind people that, to vet your, um, to vet the people that you're doing ceremonies with, you know, I think especially because I've never engaged with any, um, any of mm. that, never had the privilege that, um, I think especially when people are, have, have to unfortunately do things underground, it of course leads to more harm taking place. And so I just, I'm glad that you mentioned the concept of harm reduction to just kind of reiterate to everybody to, not only check, you know, your substances, but also if you can to test them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Testing is is paramount. Okay. Um, That's great advice. So what else, what else have we not talked about? Anything else you want to share with us? Um, I'm trying to think of anything else, you know, I think it's been an incredible year and I could probably talk about so much, but I think we've covered a lot of good stuff and, Hopefully, I haven't rambled too much. No, you haven't um, rambled at all. Yeah, but was there anything about the year you you want to get out there, or do you think you got it covered? You know, I just think that I'm looking forward to giving everybody in my life that I really care about a big hug, and everybody that yeah. I don't even care that much about a big hug. You know, yes. <laughs> I think I have really considered the importance of human connection and making time for other people. Um, I definitely always struggled with being an ambivert. Like, you know, I'm very extroverted. I love people dearly. I love connecting with them. And I also love having time alone (laughs) and it's hard to balance that, but you know, I, I really recognize we are very social animals and more than anything, you know, we need each other and are connected in ways that are pretty incomprehensible. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there's uh, much to be said for skin-to-skin interaction and hugs and, you know, being there and trading chemicals and all that good stuff. So, yeah, one one day it'd be nice to get back to that. I got my first shot, so, you know, could be could That's be getting exciting. close. Yeah. Well, soon yeah. your only issue is just going to be, I don't know if you've heard, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out. Yeah. Now mm-hmm. the logo, fear of going out. So you're going to be... It's just in the opposite boat soon. I'm actually, that's a concern of mine. I think once I get vaccinated, I'm like really apprehensive to reintegrate to whatever real life looks like. So we'll see what that journey. <laughs> yeah. It can be like coming out of the shelter after a apocalyptic event. You know, you're kind of like looking around, like, is it safe to come out here? <laughs> yeah, I get it. Well, Sophia, thank you so much for coming back. Really learned a lot from you every time I talk to you and, and you're like one of my teachers 
you know, uh-huh. in real life, I always learn from you because you, uh, you'll call people out on stuff and ask interesting <laughs> questions. So, well, I love I, that. And I love hearing your perspective. You know, I just want to throw this out there that like, I love hearing from folks that, you know, have different perspectives than me, especially people that are older that, you know, especially older and you are changed a lot as you've gotten older I think that that's something that is probably really uniquely hard and I have a lot of admiration for it as well and so I think yeah well it's good to have people like you to help because yeah we I grew up with a lot of prejudices and a lot of biases and you know psychedelics will kind of you know give a Fred Flintstone club to that but when you have somebody who you know is like you that doesn't have all that kind of call you out and go hey you know you probably shouldn't put it that way you know, or have you thought about this? Or have you thought about that? So you, you've been, uh, you've been a real teacher and I appreciate that. Well, thank you. It was really good catching up with you as always. That concludes this edition of the Stoned Ape Reports. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on Instagram at Stoned Ape Comedy and subscribe to our newsletter at www.stonedapecomedy.com. Again, thanks for listening and catch you next time, Stoned Apes.